Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. And, and that's very true because that's one of the things we always are concerned about. You know, around here, this is a, a society where people do have that tradition of planting gardens and then canning the canning the tomatoes and the beans and the whatever, even meat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the older folks around here grew up doing that as a way of life every single year of their lives. And all winter long, they ate what they grew over the summer and harvested in the fall. That's true. And when you look, look back to the Cherokee, even they uh, became an agrarian people. Uh, with what they called the three sisters, the corn, beans, and squash, you know. So they didn't strictly hunt. They That was supplemental. You know, they, they trapped, they foraged, they foraged. Uh, they had they had fields and agriculture, and they were a very uh, prosperous and advanced society. Uh, even had a written language, and, and I think part of that is, is due to the fact that they did have some, some agriculture. You know, it enabled them to do some of these other things. I, I know that you've spoken about the, the difference in terms of success uh, and efficiency of hunting versus growing. Would you like to talk about that? Well, like as far as hunting, you know, anybody that's ever went for a hunt will tell you, you, you don't always come back with meat. So if you're in, a, in an actual survival situation and you go out and you spend time and you spend energy and you come back empty-handed, now you're at a deficit. And if that continues, you're not going to make it. And if you talk to some people from here in the mountains that remember back in the 1930s and, and even before that, what I'm told is that there were not any game animals here in the mountains. You know, the only reason we have them now is, you know, not everybody's out there for their subsistence, you know, trying to, to get a hold of these animals to eat. And so the herd, you know, a lot of these deer were brought in and they were managed, and that's why we have what we have now. If everybody, if you look at the population density nowadays versus back then, if everybody's out there trying to trap, hunt, fish, the the land will not sustain it. You wouldn't be able to find a songbird around here. Everything would be hunted to extinction. So it's just not realistic to think that you're going to hunt as your mainstay. You know, Sure, you'll get some meat in the pot now and then, and it's supplemental. But a plant's not going to run from me, and I don't have to club it in the head so I can walk up. And I can I can benefit I can I can have a meal. We could go outside right now and make a salad, and uh, the energy derived from that effort would would definitely offset the energy that we put into it. I think that's really an important point to understand: is that 
from a population point of view, the reason we have animals now, okay, here is because we are not just free hunting. We don't have everyone with a rifle is not out shooting deer 365 days a year. You're right. They wouldn't last that long. They'd be gone, right. as well as fish in, in, the, uh, fish in, the, in the lakes and in the creeks. So we can survive now because we have people growing food for us basically all over the world. And like you, ma- like you mentioned, of course, that's from an energy point of view really inefficient. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, that's how we can support our population here now. Yes, and it's it seems to me that it's very fragile. If you look at all the complexity of that system and all the moving parts, and it seems like all the supply and logistics is just right on time. And if there's any hiccup along the way, then you get this domino effect. And we've seen that. I mean, there are a lot of places in the globe right now where things are not well. You know, people are, are not getting enough to eat. There's, there's, it might be political chaos that's causing the shortages of food. Uh, you know, in some places in Africa, it's like that. The warlords, uh, they, they get a hold of all of that food, and they dole it out, you know, as they see fit. So it, it could be a lot of things. It could be political in nature. It could be socioeconomic. It could be natural disaster. Uh, but at the end of the day, human life is water, shelter, fire, and food. That's it, just the basics. And so you bring up an important point, Alan Kay, that we are really living in very perilous times. When you have a planet with over 7 billion people on it, Mm -hmm. it is just truly amazing that even now we can produce enough food to feed most of them. We're not feeding all of them, but we're feeding most of them. There are plenty of people, you know, dying of hunger all over the place. Uh, so this is a, not only from, is it from an econ- economic point of view, it's fragile. Mm-hmm. From ecological point of view, it's fragile. That's true. But also from a, uh, a discontent, from a uh, military, from a uh, safety point of view, it's an enormous risk that we are now under. Because you know that hungry people are not happy people. And they will do whatever they need to do to get food. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we definitely do live in perilous times. I think that's one reason that preparedness has gone mainstream. People look around at the, the state of the world, and, I mean, where is our current debt at? What are we, $19 trillion? Absolutely, and climbing. In debt. Now, yeah. if you and I were in debt proportionately as an individual to that extent, that's it's a wrap. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, it's over. So... uh I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm, I am a student of history and, and a little bit about economics. And my study of both convinces me that uh, the clock's ticking. I would agree with you. And that's why individual responsibility and individual preparedness is such an important thing. What do you carry with you all the time to be prepared? You know, you touched on a really good point there. Um, it is important to be prepared at the individual level because strong individuals make a strong community. If we have a bunch of strong, resilient individuals and we have a strong, resilient community, and so many people, it seems nowadays, they look to the government for answers. And that's not what Americans have always been about. We've always 
taking care of ourselves and each other. So for me, that's, that's really the big shift instead of, uh, looking to politics, you know, to, to solve our problems. We, the answer is each other. You just look around the room, uh, get to know your neighbors, that community. You know, I've got a thing that I tell people, uh, the lone wolf is the dead wolf because it, it just doesn't work that way. You know, we have to get back to a sense of community and helping each other. That really is what we have always had as a tradition in our area here. Mm-hmm. Uh, neighbors helping neighbors. Your church is the center of your community. Uh, and so that's why a lot of people here are are into preparedness. But more than that, they understand the importance of being individually prepared, family prepared, community prepared, and church community prepared. That's how people survived here for generations. And I don't think it's quite died out here as much as in Atlanta. Let's no, say. That, that's true, and it, and it has served us well. Uh, historically, if you look, that's there's been a lot of success stories there, and I've done a lot of survival classes for for some local churches, you know, that are are taking it serious, and uh, they they do feel like there there's a stewardship there that they have of their communities, and that is a bastion, you know, that we can have a, a place that, you know, if you've got somebody that's down, that was the original uh, social services, it was it was the church, it was the community. You know, people were aware of the situation. Okay, this person over here has this need. They would come together and fill that need, and that's as it should be. Um, you had asked about what I carry every day. I've got a, a pocket survival kit. Uh, it's made out of a, a small metal container uh, made by BCB International. It's the same one that the British SAS carry. It's called a BCB Mini Mess 10. If the listeners want to look that up, you can get a get a visual of it. But it's about the size of your hand, and inside of that container, I usually keep a Mylar shelter sheet, which is basically a portable blanket. It's, it has a reflective quality. If you were to put it uh, in front of a fire, it would bounce that heat back to you. I have a couple of ways to start a fire in there, a couple of ferro rods, boat matches, things like that. I keep a compass, a whistle, uh, needle and thread, fish hook, sinkers, line, I've got uh, some tinder for starting a fire in there. I've got 28-gauge brass wire, just lots of stuff. I've got water purification tablets. I actually have a water filter in there. And I know when you look at this can, it doesn't look like it would have all that, but it does. And then even the the container itself being a metal container, you know, I can boil small amounts of water in this if I had to, and I could even cook small amounts of food in it. So. Well, when you described everything, I'm, lo- I'm sitting here looking at it, and it's about maybe five inches by three inches by maybe an inch and three quarters to two inches. The Everything you described sounds like it should probably fit in a backpack. Right. There's but, actually a, two saws in here, too. I know that sounds impossible, but there are two saws in here, and one of them will cut through metal, bone, and wood. It's a specific type of collapsible saw. And so from a from a functional and efficient point of view, that's something that you can carry with you 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And really, no matter what happens, uh, you've got the basis for survival in a tin can. 
That's exactly right. And so for me, I usually wear cargo pants and it lives in the, my leg pocket, you know, uh, for ladies, it could be put in the purse. You know, I've, I've taught a lot of classes and, and that's, and ladies like having that for the, if something happens, they have their kids with them, you know, you be able to keep them warm, get a fire going. And also medical kits on, on my opposite leg pocket. I keep some medical equipment with me that that'll handle most trauma. And, and it's, it's not very bulky. Uh, just a pressure dress and a tourniquet, things like that. I think this is an important concept as well, Alan Kay, because uh, if you have one of these enormous 60-pound backpacks in your vehicle, I know your vehicle can carry it around, but if you actually have to put it on your back, you're going to get, what, 10 yards? <laughs> that's true, and and really that's what, uh, as I've traveled the country and done uh, preparedness assessments for people, uh, I see – there was this one instance there, there was a lady, she was probably around 65 years old or so. And she's telling me about her, her emergency pack, her bug out bag. And, uh, so we go out to her vehicle and she pulls this thing out and it looks like something that the Marine Corps expeditionary forces would carry. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, there's no way you've ever even had this on your back. And so that really got me to thinking. And so I've come up with a, with a template for a pack, the one that I carry, it usually weighs in around 15 to 16 pounds, and it will do everything you need to do at all times of the year. And it's just it's just been trial and error and doing research and testing and research and development with, with different pieces of equipment, you know, and, and choosing things that are going to be multifunctional. But ultimately, I mean, knowledge is, is where it's at. It's good to have the equipment, but you might not have the equipment. And so these survival skills are kind of your... They're your lifeboat skills. They're that final safety net. And you mentioned the vehicle, and that's a really good point because, uh, let's see, how did you get here today? You drove, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I drove here as well. So usually that's how we get wherever it is that we are is by means of a vehicle. So there are certain things you should keep in your vehicle because that's going to be your closest resupply point, much closer than home. Things like an axe, a tow rope sleeping bag, water, food, things of that nature, warm clothes, should always be in your vehicle. Well, your website, Alan, is, uh, I gather, Alan K. Survival. That's K-A-Y, AlanKSurvival.com. That's correct. Can I assume that some of this information about what's in your uh, your little tin and your your mini pack and things like that, can you get that information on your website? The website is kind of in its infancy. There, there's some of that on there. Uh, the model is there's an, an email sign-up. And what I would like to transition to is at some point in the near future, start scheduling classes and send email notifications of training opportunities. And How it happens now, though, people usually just call me and we book it, and uh, that's, that's pretty much the template. Now, I do have a Facebook page. It's Alan K. Alone. Uh, and that's on Facebook, and I have some uh, videos there that I've linked to. I also have some videos that are on YouTube that uh, have some survival skills, and, and it talks about some of the equipment that we've we've listed here, and so that might be helpful for people to get some information. You know, I really think for a lot of my listeners, what's in that little tin would be an awful would be an important, useful piece of information. So that's something I'd like to certainly know about. You, we kind of spoke about them, mm-hmm. but the concept of how do you get it, uh, this reminds me of that 
that uh, ad for uh, tomato paste. How do you get eight great tomatoes in that little itty-bitty can? <laughs> but the question is, how do you get all those incredible things that are really essential for survival in that small little tin? That's a probably one of the most critical pieces of information that any one individual could know. Mm-hmm. Then that secondary that secondary backpack that you could potentially carry at least away from your vehicle far enough to set up a safe zone uh, where you'd have a little more items than just in that little can. So how would I go about getting what's in those two different kinds of survival containers? There's a YouTube video that I I was teaching at uh, the Heritage Life Skills event in Waynesville, North Carolina. And someone videotaped the talk that I did, and it got posted on YouTube. So that that might be a resource. And you know, I'm I'm not really a checklist kind of guy. I, I I never say to a student, "Okay, you need two pairs of socks, chapstick, sunscreen, sunglasses." I, I don't do it like that. Uh, I want you to look at the criteria. Okay, you need water, shelter, fire, food, and protection. So whatever that that is for you you know we're all different we have different skill sets different needs some people have pre-existing medical conditions that will need to be addressed if they're prone to allergic reactions to certain things then an EpiPen needs to be part of what they do if they're diabetic or hypoglycemic then there are going to be some things that they're going to need to have unique to to their special needs but we all have to have the ability to stay warm maintain that core temp you're going to need a metal container you're going to need a way to make a fire. You're going to need a container to carry water in, things like that. So, And, and some type of shelter, be it a, even the old military poncho, if nothing else, makes for a pretty good shelter. And it's fairly lightweight. But, yeah, the, the video on YouTube has all of that stuff on it. And I did one also on the Survival 10 that I keep in my pocket. The, my current version that I carry, it has changed quite a bit from, from the video that's up there, and I do intend at some point to to do a revised video because the the kit as it exists now I think is is a lot better. And it's just that, that further research and testing and, and finding the right things. And I'm always out there trying different things, you know. I think if you ever reach a point where you're happy with things and you stop growing, you know, you always want to try to push and get better and better. Well, we've been speaking with Alan Kay, uh, who won the series alone on the History Channel. Uh, his email is alan at alankaysurvival.com. I'll give you his phone number, 706-994-3405. Uh, alan, it's been an incredible experience discussing these items with you. Do you have any final parting thoughts you'd like to give us? Uh, I can... I can sum it up with uh, a little discussion about boxes. And there's a man uh, used to teach, well, I guess he still teaches some, Eustace Conway, he had a uh, thing he would say about boxes. And and this is kind of my version of, of that box ideology. So let's look at human life, your average day. Okay, we live in a box, our house. We wake up in the morning, there's a little box next to the bed beeping, telling us to get up. Then we get into a box with water spraying out of it, and we get cleaned up. And then we go to a box with wheels, and we get in that box, and we drive to another box where we work throughout the day, usually looking at a box and typing on a box. 
And so we're there to get money, and we take that money, and we go back into our box with wheels, and then we drive to another box where we buy yet more boxes. And then we take those boxes back to the box we live in, and we eat from those boxes. And when it's all over, they put you in a box. <laughs> so, <laughs> so think outside the box. Think outside the box. Alan Kay, thank you so much for being an incredible guest on Freedom Forum Radio. It's been great, Dr. Dan. Thanks a lot. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. In everything. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. <laughs>